What's up, everybody, and welcome in to this special podcast for Under the Hood and for the Cap and J Hood podcast as well. I am Jonathan Hood. Thanks so much for downloading the podcast. I'm going to talk to Brad Edwards. Brad Edwards worked with ESPN going all the way back to 1996. Currently, he's writing a book about Alabama football. Just watching the draft all weekend and seeing what the Bears did by picking up Justin Fields. I was saying this on Friday with Brian Hanley on the Cap and J Hood Morning Show and also David Kaplan on Monday. How I was just thrilled that Justin Fields is the quarterback for the Bears. And to reiterate some of the things I said, you know, nothing is 100% fixed with the Bears. No team is 100% fixed. Just because you have a draft doesn't necessarily mean that you're in the position to win the Super Bowl based on your draft. Um, And so I'm just looking forward to seeing what the Bears' future is because that's what the draft is about, right? It's about trying to figure out what the future brings for a football team. So I'm going to talk to Brad Edwards not only about Justin Fields, but also about the legacy of Nick Saban. All of the Alabama players that were drafted in the 2021 draft, it is amazing. We'll talk about that and some of the quarterbacks in the draft. But I want to provide this special because Brad Edwards had been with the company at ESPN for a long time, dealing with analytics, looking at all the numbers, and was on ESPN radio for a college game day. So let me call Brad Edwards and get his thoughts about the draft uh, regarding uh, what Alabama has done and also Justin Fields. How much of a difference can he make? Because from my standpoint, whether he plays this season or next season, at least the Bears have solidified the quarterback position. They're able to go and get a couple of offensive linemen, one from Oklahoma State, who's a stud in Tevin Jenkins. Uh, Larry Borum, the offensive lineman from Missouri. You took care of your DB by having Thomas Graham from Oregon. Now, all these picks may not be with the team in three or four years, but for sure, Justin Fields, as someone who's a Georgia fan and as someone who... um, Watch him at Ohio State. Justin Fields is a leader on the field. There's some conjecture out there that Fields is better than Trevor Lawrence. I don't know if I believe that, but here's what we're going to know. In three years, we want to find out on the NFL field how good Justin Fields is among some of the best that were taken in this year's draft. Let me call Brad Edwards, and we'll get underway with this special podcast as we take a look at the draft, which was a terrific one in Cleveland. And there he is, my buddy Brad Edwards, as we take a look at uh, the Alabama Crimson Tide and uh, a few things about quarterbacks here from the 2021 draft. And uh, Brad joins me here on ESPN 1000. Uh, Brad, as always, I appreciate it. Thanks for coming on the show. Good to be with you again, Jonathan. I don't know how many years in a row we've talked draft, but uh, glad, glad we uh, were able to keep the tradition alive. Yeah, we're well, not going to break the tradition. I always want to pick your brain on some things. Uh, first, I want to I go to um, Alabama just for a second because here in Chicago, when we saw that the Bears went up in the draft and they made a deal with the Giants, uh, the Bears had an opportunity to get Mac Jones or Jalen uh, to, or Justin Fields. I want to get your thoughts on Mac Jones because my initial reaction to Jones going to New England was, boy, this is perfect. <laughs> you got Bill Belichick and Belichick and Nick Saban are, are good friends. So this works out well, I think, for Mac. What do you think? Yeah, I, I think so. Uh, the, the system is certainly right. And I, I think a lot of people are going to look at the similarities between him and Tom Brady 
Well, I mean, I was going to say, certainly you, you can't compare them on the field right now. Mm-hmm. Um, but, but you look at physically, okay. N- neither one is a, you know, super big guy. In fact, I don't think either one of them you would say is the NFL prototype for size. Uh, neither one is incredibly athletic. They're not going to, they're not going to do much more than, than run a little bit beyond the first down marker if given the chance. And, and yet they, they both have a, a very good feel for the game, a good feel in the pocket, you know, great quarterback instincts. Obviously uh, Tom Brady is at a, as a level above almost everyone who's ever played the game. So, uh, so you can't put Mac Jones in that category right now. But if you're, you know, just looking at what Tom Brady was when he first went to the Patriots, I, I think there are a lot of similarities there, and you, you figure that, uh, that that Belichick knows what he's looking for, and uh, and so it it seems to be a good place, you know, as opposed to you know other quarterbacks who are, are taken near the top of the draft and go into bad teams where they're probably going to be forced to play right away without a great supporting cast. It, at least the infrastructure um, is is probably a lot better for a rookie quarterback in New England. So Justin Fields is the new Bears quarterback, and Brad, you're missing the party here. You're missing the party. Up and down, Rush Street, downtown, everywhere. Everyone's excited only because Justin Fields is here. Remember, the Bears have never had a, a passer over 4,000 yards in a season in the history of the franchise. And so what can you tell me what you remember about Justin Fields as a, a Georgia Bulldog and definitely as Ohio State Buckeye? I don't remember much of him as a Georgia Bulldog other than, for whatever reason, Kirby Smart didn't seem too keen on letting him throw the ball when he did put him in the game. Mm -hmm. And and so I think for that reason, a lot of people were uh, not sure what to expect when he stepped on the field at Ohio State. And uh, obviously he was terrific uh, in 2019, had some ups and downs in, in 2020, um, but you, you still see so you've always seen the physical talent. Right. But but uh, he had some games and I think especially that Clemson game in the semifinal this past season uh, was one where you see what the ceiling is. OK, you see what he's capable of doing, um, you know, on his best day. And you also saw in that game his his toughness and his leadership. You know, for him to take the shot that he did in that game, I, I thought he had broken ribs. Mm-hmm. <laughs> I, I was I was not expecting him to come back on the field, and not only did he come back, um, but he kept throwing balls on target and just absolutely shredded a, a very good Clemson defense. And so, you know, it was it was too bad for Fields that he didn't follow it up with a you know. Uh, he wasn't going to play at that level against Alabama, but he didn't follow it up with a great game. And so I think some of those questions kind of came back, um, and that might have been why he didn't go in the top five. Um, but but certainly a guy with a lot of potential in the right system. And, you know, good luck, Bears. I, I mean, Justin Fields is a guy where I, I, I don't know how I would have thought about him if I was, you know, picking a quarterback for an NFL team. But I, I said several times – over the, the previous 15 months or so, um, if you were, if you made me a, a college head coach and you gave me a draft, okay, and you, I get first pick in the draft to start a college football team, mm-hmm. Justin Fields would have been my quarterback. I would, I would have taken Justin Fields over Trevor Lawrence to quarterback a college football team. And obviously, you know, you get in the NFL and you're not going to want him to run as much as, as he did in college, and, and uh, you know, we'll see how that changes his game. But certainly he's a guy, if he needs to, 
Um, he's not only going to get the tough yards, but he's he's really difficult to bring down the pocket because of his strength. Brad, that is not a uh, an odd opinion. I have seen this over the weekend into Monday that there are some that say what you just said, that Fields would be the choice over Lawrence. I just know that when those two battled, it was it was great theater. Uh, and I, I like both of these quarterbacks, but I could see why people look at, at Fields and maybe having more upside. I'll, I'll say this, the Bears... They have enough weapons to be able to do something. Uh, you know, with Allen Robinson, they've got a good running game. Fields brings a different dynamic, though, than what the Bears have had that position in, I mean, a long time. They really yeah. are. Brad, uh, I want to get your thoughts also about uh, quarterbacks taken so early in the in the draft. Um, whether small schools or big schools, I'm, I'm wondering your thoughts about you know, uh, players like Trey Lance from a small school um, and whether or not that that is good for teams. If if it, if a quarterback that has not taken on, you know, quality competition, you know, big, you know, power five competition, does that does that give you pause in your analysis? Oh, absolutely. Um, I, I was quite surprised the 49ers did that because, you know, you hear the chatter, especially the last few years about concerns that teams have about any college quarterback who didn't really start more than a year, you know? And, and so Trey Lance not only falls into that category where he's, you know, basically got about a season's worth of starts under his belt, but on top of it, he, he didn't do it against power five competition. He did it against F, F, excuse me, FCS competition. And so uh, what do you make of that? I mean, sure. You can look at him and you can see potential, um, but I, I think, you know, everything that, that you would normally say for a guy, I mean, I remember, you know, back when Mark Sanchez came out, mm-hmm. um, Pete Carroll was upset, you know, didn't think that he should have come out that early. And Pete Carroll was citing, you know, his belief that, you know, that, that guys who don't play enough in college are not ready for the NFL at, at quarterback. And uh, we've seen uh, a few players since Mark, Mark Sanchez, that's, that's proven, uh, to be true for, and so uh, you you have that double whammy with Lance, with the, the limited experience and the uh, you know level down as far as the competition, and um, it's uh, it's going to be interesting to see what he can do. And I you know I, I you know go back to uh, to a year ago with um, well actually you know that was a bad example. I was I was I was going to say with what the Packers did in the draft, but I guess when you've got when you've got Aaron Rodgers as your starting quarterback, <laughs> the, the fact that the backup doesn't step on the field, I don't think really says a whole lot about how good he is. So, uh, so that was probably a bad example. But but yeah, I mean, you know, even in even in the um, the group of five level, there there's still you know a concern uh, if you don't have a lot of games under your belt, and um, and so I don't know. I mean, obviously, you know, FCS quarterbacks, there there several of them have been really good in the NFL, so it's not like you can't make that jump, um, but how much do you really know about a guy like Trey Lance at this stage? This will be the most difficult question that you'll answer today. Okay, so <laughs> so you ready? Yeah. So so which legacy intrigues you more, Bill Belichick's or Nick Saban's? Hmm. Belichick, I think, is probably um, well. Look, I think Belichick's has more questions still to be answered because of the Tom Brady factor, you know, because for so many years, the question was, is it Belichick? Is it Brady? Right. And now that Brady left him and went and won a Super Bowl 
in Tampa. Now you, you know, now you're waiting to see, okay, how much longer is Belichick going to coach? And is he going to win another one or at least come close to winning another one with a different quarterback? And I think, I think his legacy uh, maybe changes a little bit if he doesn't come close to winning a, a Super Bowl without Brady. And, and so I think for that reason, his is more interesting. I think Saban's is much more clear cut. And, mm-hmm. you know, one of the things that's really interesting about Saban, um, I, I've, I've been doing a lot of research on, on Alabama football for a, a book that I'm writing uh, that I'm finishing up at this moment. It's going to be out this summer. And so I spent a lot of time looking at, at not only uh, Saban's time at Alabama, but some of his, his previous stops in his career. And uh, it's, it's interesting that, you know, that he is, he is coached at a level at Alabama that was way beyond what he did again, you know, at LSU and in LSU, at LSU, he won a national championship, obviously, and so um, there was a feeling that he could easily win a championship at Alabama. But you look at what he's done in this kind of second go round. It's actually a third go round, really, in college football. Um, but but it's I, I think he learned so much about maybe not even as much about football as he learned about himself when he went to the Dolphins. Mm-hmm. And, you know, it wasn't like he was a flop, but he it wasn't great either. And I think he, I think he recognized that college football is where he needed to be, and I think he's been a different coach since he came back. And so, um, I, I think I think Saban's is a lot more clear cut because to me, he's gotten to a stage now where there is just there is no question whatsoever that he's the the greatest coach in college football history. Whereas Belichick, if you know, if if he, if he like I said, if he doesn't come close to winning another one without Brady, there might be some that would kind of change their mind on that one. I, I would probably lean Saban in that regard too, Brad, because any time that you're cranking out uh, new players, new quarterbacks, uh, you're you're at the top of the list when it comes to recruiting. This past draft, having Najee Harris and uh, Leatherwood, the offensive lineman, who's going to be a Hall of Famer, by the way, uh, De- <laughs> Devontae Smith, Jalen Waddell, right? I mean, when you're cranking out these, these are just these are just first rounders. When you're cranking that out every year, you put uh, Mac Jones in a position where he's one of the top quarterbacks taken in the draft. You know, at least in the first round, that that's pretty huge. That says a lot for his legacy. And you continue to win. It's it's similar to the one and done coaches in college basketball, where how do you keep winning when you know that your roster is going to change every single year? It just says a lot about the longevity and the ability to keep going it, it it really is amazing what he's done when you consider a few factors like you said uh the the turnover on the roster that's always going to exist in college to begin with but then when you you throw on top of it the number of early entries to the draft the number of players that he has for only three years or in some cases only two because they they redshirt as a freshman because no one can get on the field. I should say no one, hardly anyone can get on the field as a freshman at Alabama and play a significant role. But but a lot of these guys, after only two years as a starter, they're gone. And so he's got that constant turnover and not just replacing starters, but replacing first and second round draft picks. Okay, then in addition to that, you've got um, the, the coaching turnover. And, and this has just gotten nuts in the last five or six years where – he seems to be losing 
half of his staff and at least one coordinator every year. Some years it's been both coordinators. And you keep thinking the combination of these things is, is going to cause him to fall off. Okay, this is where it comes to an end. Every time they lose a game, people want to predict this is the end of the dynasty. Right. And it just keeps going and going. And and the last thing about Saban that, that I, I think makes this, this whole thing phenomenal is when you look at the changes in the game that have caused him to have to adjust his approach to offense, to defense, and even to recruiting. And despite having made those adjustments, he has remained on top. And it's just, you know, there are a whole lot of coaches in the history of this game that have been good. And then things have happened where they've had to, to make adjustments. But what happens with most of them is that it ends up taking a bad season or two before they recognize that they need to make adjustments. And then they do it. And the really good ones will make another run after that. All it took was just a couple of close games for Saban to realize, hey, I've got to change what I'm going to do, uh, or the way that I like defense, uh, for example. When when his defenses went from you could barely move the ball on them to all of a sudden a few good quarterbacks started to torch them. He's like, all right, I've got to get faster linebackers. You know, get away from these guys who are 250, 260 in the middle. Get more guys who can run sideline to sideline. Obviously on offense. You know, he opened things up. He went up tempo. He got a running quarterback in Jalen Hurts, which is something he'd never had before. And then he went, you know, heavy RPO with Tua. And, and you know, last three years they've had an incre- incredibly explosive offense. And so, you know, he's he's made all these adjustments whenever he had to. And like I said, like like unlike most coaches, it didn't take a bad season for him to recognize that he had to make changes. Tell us about your new book coming out, Dynasty by the Numbers. Yeah, so uh, as, as you know, my, my background has always been uh, telling stories with numbers. And so it's, it's a data-driven book. Um, and, and it really takes a look at the last 12 or 13 years and how much Alabama has dominated college football. The, the obvious thing over that span is that they've been the best team in the country. What the book really shows through these numbers, and it's a lot of data visualization. Most of the pages have charts and graphs, and it's, it's not for everybody, but but for, for people who enjoy that kind of stuff, um, it, what it really shows is the scale of how much better they've been than, than everybody in, in the country over that span. And so uh, you get a real appreciation, I think, for how good they've been and for how long, and I think especially for Alabama fans who have gotten so spoiled, you know, by, by being this good that they just expected. And I, I don't think that they really understand how unprecedented this run is. And I, I think, you know, one of the things that I want to accomplish with this book is that 10 years from now, maybe 15 years from now, whenever it is that Saban's been gone for a few years and Alabama becomes, you know, beatable again, um, that people can pull this off the shelf and, and truly recognize what an unbelievable run it was. And, and it's probably something that we'll never see again as long as we live in college football because it's just, it's just there's, a, there's a reason nobody had done it before. It's just, it's just almost impossible to sustain this level of play 
for more than a decade. Dynasty by the Numbers coming out this summer from Brad Edwards. Look for it if you're a college football fan or just a just to love the history of college football because we're seeing it every time we see Alabama take the field with Nick Saban. Check out that book, Dynasty by the Numbers. Well, Brad, I didn't want to break tradition. I wanted to get your thoughts, especially because of the excitement here. You're missing the party, man. Justin Fields is well, a Chicago Bear. I am really looking forward to seeing what he does because uh, he was uh, he was an exciting player at Ohio State. And, uh, you know, he's one of those guys that, much as we like to criticize quarterbacks for transferring, not sticking it out, he absolutely made the right move by leaving Georgia, going to Ohio State, and uh, put himself in a position to have a, a great NFL career. Well, I appreciate it, Brad, as always. Thanks so much for giving some of your time. Always, Jonathan. Take care. There he is, Brad Edwards. He's excited about Justin Fields of the Bears, too. And we talked about Nick Saban and Alabama because this is where we're seeing a lot of these players coming out of that um, powerhouse of a school. Even as a Georgia fan, (laughs) I know how good Alabama is. And uh, the SEC providing quality, as always, going into the NFL. I'm always sad. As a college football fan, I'm like, oh, there go my babies. All the people I've watched for four years, now they've grown up and go to the NFL. Well, don't forget to listen to Cap and Jay Hood mornings between 7 and 10 a.m. Central Time on ESPN 1000 and the ESPN Chicago app. And I look forward to seeing what some of the draft hopefuls bring for the future. Fields, Jenkins, Borum, Khalil Herbert, Daz Newsom, Thomas Graham, Kyrie's Tonga, the defensive lineman in the seventh round. Pretty interesting. Thanks for listening. 